So let's jump straight in. Uh, we're kind of carrying on from where we obviously had been. Jacob up with Laban. Uh, the children now have all been born. And we read this in verse 1. And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And of that which was our father's, has he gotten all this glory? <laughs> yeah, there's a real kind of jealousy thing going on. And of course, it's, it's not a true statement, because Jacob hadn't taken anything that wasn't his. He'd earned that which he'd been given. Jacob held the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. So Laban's obviously listened to the words of his sons and started thinking. And he's a little bit, you know, yeah, Jacob, look what he's taken and, and so on. So this real kind of difficult circumstance, this kind of almost family feud begins at this point. Now, just a quick question. What do you do when the world's against you? Jacob's in his position. He's away from home. He fled home because he thought his brother was going to kill him. He's come here He's been cheated and deceived and swindled and all these kind of things. And now, not only Jacob's son, so Laban's sons, but Laban himself is against Jacob. What about you when you're in positions when everything seems to be against you? What do you do? Do you panic? Do you bury your head in the sand? Or do you flee to your mountain? That's an expression that comes from Psalm 11. David there says, In the Lord put I my trust. It's a very, very simple statement. And then he says, how say you to my soul? Flee as a bird to your mountain. I don't think David is having a conversation with other people. I mean, he may have been, but I think that this is more likely a rhetorical question. David's speaking to himself. You know, the flesh life likes to rear its head and suggest to us what we should do in times of crisis. How say you to my soul? Flee as a bird your mountain. You see, I, I think this is his own flesh life, arguably our greatest enemy, challenging him to, to go to the place where he feels happy. You know, run from the problem, resort to the things you know, go to like to a modern vernacular, go to your happy place. And isn't that what often we do when we're in trials and circumstances? We resort to the things that we feel comfortable with. And there's all sorts of things that people will, will try, all sorts of things people will do. Places where people can just switch off. Again, another modern term. The, the danger is we can switch off from God. We can put things in that will take our, our mind or our attention away. Help us to find some sort of release in, a, in another way other than going to, to God himself. And, and this idea of fleeing as a bird to your mountain. David's saying, no, I don't want to do that. You know, how is, Why is my soul even suggesting that? But mountains in scripture are always seen as a place, as a kingdom as such. It's like flee to that place where you are king, where you're in control. And that's the challenge because often when we're in difficult situations, just like Jacob is here, the natural response is to, response is to put ourselves in control of the situation. Well, Scripture says that we should seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first, in fact, let me just correct myself there because it's actually seek first the kingdom of God and there is a difference between those two terms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They, they're often used interchangeably by us, but scripturally, there's a difference. Quoting this verse, I'll read this. Immediately when we look at these words of Jesus, we find that the most revolutionary statement human ears ever listened to. Seek you first the kingdom of God. We argue in exactly the opposite way and even the most spiritually minded of us. But I must live. 
I must make so much money, I must be clothed, I must be fed. The great concern of our lives is not the kingdom of God, but how we will fit ourselves to live. Jesus reverses the order. Get rightly related to God first. Maintain that as the great care of your life and never put the concern of your care on the other things. What a great little statement that is. Well, it's interesting because the next verse, verse 3 in Genesis 31, we read this. And the Lord said unto Jacob. Now, it's easy just to kind of read over that. But for the Lord to say that to Jacob, Jacob has got to be in a place where he's listening. I think what Jacob has done here is go to God. What do I do in this situation? We, we don't have the question given to us, but the answer implies that the Lord is answering this predicament. And the Lord said unto Jacob, this is what you should do. And he says, return unto the land of thy fathers, unto thy kindred, and I will be with you. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock. Just gets them away from the house, away from ears that might uh, pass the information back onto Laban. So they come out to meet him in the field. And he said, I see your father's countenance that is not to, toward me as before, but the God of my fathers has been with me. And you know that with all my power I have served your father. What a great testimony that is in itself. That even though Laban had lied and deceived Jacob and so on, that Jacob had been faithful in that which he had been called to do. He'd served He'd been a good employee, effectively. What a lovely thing when a, a boss comments that he likes Christians because they work hard. I was in a position some years ago, I was working with another Christian, and the managing director at the time said, next time I recruit, he said, I'm just going to recruit Christians. He wasn't saying as a but he said, because you just work so much harder. What a lovely thing. Because what we do, we do as unto the Lord. That's what we should do as Christians. Verse 7, and your father has deceived me and changed my wages these ten times, he says. But God suffered him not to hurt me. And if he said, thus the speckles shall be thy wages, talking about the cattle, and we looked at this last time, then all the, the cattle bear speckled. And if he said, thus the ring streaked shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring streaked. Thus, God has taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. Now, this is interesting because we're not given that information prior to this. And behold, the rams which leapt upon the cattle were ring-streaked and speckled and grizzled. Remember, Jacob said, they're the ones that I'll have and Laban can have all the pure ones. Well, then all of a sudden, everything starts producing these ring streaks and speckled and grizzled. And so the stock and the, the flock of, of Jacob increases and that of Laban's goes down. And of course, we see here that this has been given to Jacob in a, in a dream. The Lord allowed him to see this. And the angel of God spoke unto me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here am I. And he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-streaked and speckled and grizzled, for I have seen all that Laban does to thee. You see, there's another interesting lesson that, that is under the surface here, and that is that we should just leave God to deal with these situations. You know, it's not for us to seek justice for ourselves. Let God fight for you. 
And, and God will stand up for you. If you are being unfairly treated, well, then you leave it with the Lord. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave it with God. That's what Jacob does. Verse 13, and I am the, this is what God said, I am the God of Bethel where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest to vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. So this is the statement, this is the, the information that Jacob, that Jacob is now giving to his wives. Trying to help them to understand the decision that he's now making. Just to give you an idea, these are typical dwellings in Haran. So this would be somewhere typical of, of the type of place that Jacob and the family would have been living just to kind of bring a bit of reality to the situation. He's taken them out of the field, Laban and the boys and everyone else would have been back home. But then we read, And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he has sold us and quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God has taken from our father, that is ours and our Children's, now then, what what servant God has said unto thee, do. Now, I suspect that went a little bit better than Jacob had expected. Because that build-up before was like, you know, this is what's happened and this is what did. And and honestly, I I, I worked so hard for you, Dad, but... And they go, look, look, Jacob, we're with you. I'm sure that was a a relief to Jacob. Nothing better than having a, a wife that agrees with you when we get it right. Verse 17, then Jacob rose up and set his sons and wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and his goods, which he had gotten, and the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Paddan Aram, for to go to Isaac, his father, in the land of Canaan. Now, Isaac is still alive at this point. Some 20 years later, Isaac's still alive. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. Now, it's an interesting thing here because going back to 1925 uh, and a few years following that, there were some 4,000 clay tablets that were discovered at this place called Newsy, which was just east of Haran, um, that date back to around about 1500 BC. So kind of just around about the time of, of these things and a bit earlier. Now, what they found in these laws and rules that were written in these tablets, that were that these teraphims, these household gods, were used as evidence of ownership of property. They were, they were seen as a very important marker in many respects. Uh, they were also used as a boundary marker and to, to protect the area. Uh, it's interesting that Rachel takes these wanting to keep that kind of protection that she's grown up with and learned from her father. Uh, another thing just, and we mentioned this previously, um, the idea of sisterhood being an important status uh, is also recorded in these tablets. We mentioned that particularly uh, with what we see uh, with Abraham and later with Isaac as well. Uh, and also the idea of surrogate motherhood by maidservants, which obviously is applied in Jacob's own life, um, this idea as well. So these all were, were typical customs at that time, um, just secular evidence to co- corroborate and support what the Bible says. Just an interesting comment here by uh, uh, Donald Barnhouse. He says this, So Rachel and Leah were wrong to look to their father Laban for their portion or inheritance once they were married to Jacob. He now was their portion and inheritance. Jacob, that is. And since you are saved and joined to Christ, appraise the world and ask, Is there yet any portion for me? If you think there is, you are mistaken. 
That's an interesting aside that once we are joined to Christ, we have no portion in the world, no inheritance in the world. And once these two daughters have been married to Jacob, they shouldn't have been looking for any portion or inheritance from their father because that was all now in their husband. Just interesting. Just to get some context to this, this is the map of the area. You can see Newsy over here, the little red dot. Uh, that's where those tablets are found. Haran up the top, which is where Jacob had been staying uh, with uh, Laban. And he's going to make this journey some 300 miles or so back down to the top of Israel. Uh, you can see at the bottom there. So let's carry on. And Jacob stole away, kind of slept away, uh, snuck away without any kind of to-do or any announcement. Unaware to Laban the Syrian. In that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. Uh, just for your clarification, this is the river Euphrates. This is the Euphrates at the point, typically where Jacob would have crossed it. Um, quite a wide river and he's got to get the, the, obviously his wives and the children and all the cattle and everything else. Now they've obviously chosen the narrow, narrowest point they could find to cross. But none of this is an easy ex- exercise. You know, we tend to read these things without thinking the reality of all that's going on here. You know, and Jacob at the back of his mind knows what he's going back to. We're going to see more of that in a moment. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days. It takes him all this time to to catch up. Because, of course, as he's traveling, Jacob's still going further ahead. Seven days' journey. And they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. So this is now his kind of northern Israel territory. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Interesting that Proverbs 16.7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I'm not sure that Jacob necessarily felt peace from Laban, but God intervenes here because Jacob had pleased God and stops Laban attacking him or doing anything that have damaged him in any way. Verse 25, we carry on. Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountain. Laban with his brethren pitched in the Mount Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done that thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? <laughs> well, Rachel and Leah had happily gone with Jacob. We've already seen that. Yeah, they were more like captives with Laban than with Jacob. Yeah, the world, doesn't it think that we're entering bondage when we leave the world's ways and the world's systems to follow after God? It's exactly what Laban's doing here, making that same error. Verse 27, Wherefore did thou flee away secretly and steal away from me, and did not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs, with a tabret and with a harp? We could have had a party and sent you away. I don't think so. We've already seen that his face was not towards Jacob as it had been before and the sons certainly wouldn't have said no no we're not paying for a party but anyway he says uh, and has not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters thou hast now done foolishly in so doing so uh, yeah it's in the power of my hand to do you hurt says Laban but the God of your father spoke unto me yesterday saying take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good bad we're not given a lot of detail about this but this must have been quite a big thing for Laban I mean he's made this journey he's just traveled for seven days really intent on and sorting this issue out and God intervenes and, and we don't know whether this is the first time that God has spoken to him but it obviously has a big impact and he recalls the recalls the, the situation here to Jacob 
And so Laban's now got to be thinking that he's not going to mess with Jacob because his God's real. But by the way, I don't believe it was any more in the power of Laban's hand to hurt Jacob than to turn the day to night. God had already put his hand of protection on Jacob. And I don't think Laban could have done anything about that, even if he wanted to. You see, Laban was just trying to pretend he was in control of this situation. You know, uh, by the way, isn't that the nature of persecution? And it was something very interesting uh, that Simon said uh, last week. Uh, he talked about people that are persecuted. He said, can you ever remember the persecutors? You know, and of course, they never managed to extinguish the lights. I just thought it was a very interesting thing that Simon was sharing with us, the way that, that people get persecuted, but you never remember the people that are doing the persecuting. It's always those that are persecuted whose names get remembered. Verse 30, and now, though thou would needs be gone, because thou so longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? This is about the only thing you can now argue about. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, peradventure, thou would take by force thy daughters from me. Something interesting, look at this. Jacob genuinely cared for both daughters. See, that struggle that we see between Rachel and Leah was far more a problem that they perceived than necessarily anything on Jacob's part. Because Jacob shows here that he cares about both of the girls. It's an interesting aside. Let you think that through and do more with it if you want to. But and he says, "With whomsoever thou findest thy gods." And this is interesting because Jacob now is going to pronounce a curse upon anybody that had taken anything of Laban's. He says, "Let him not live." What an interesting statement. Because cutting to the chase, we find out, of course, that it's Rachel that has taken. We've seen that already. And Rachel, very soon after this will die. She'll die in childbirth. You know, we, we said a few weeks ago, we have to be very careful about the things we say. By your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned, Jesus said. And people can pronounce curses upon themselves by things they say. It's a very real thing. And we need to be cautious uh, and not uh, frivolous in the things we say. With whomsoever thou findest thy goods, let not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me and take it to thee. But Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went in to Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture, so in the, in the saddlebag basically, and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent, but he found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched not. Sorry, and he searched but found not the images. Of course, Rachel says, it's my time of the month. And of course, Laban's not going to ask any questions at that point. So he just moves on and of course doesn't then find these images. And Jacob was wroth. Now this is interesting. Because up until this point, Jacob's been quite passive. Just letting Laban do the talking. And But now Jacob says, yeah, and possibly Jacob had rehearsed this many times over the last 20 years. But now is that moment. Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou art so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found? And of all thy household stuff, set it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. 
it's interesting because you kind of just get the idea here. Uh, Laban, you know, this was made into a dramatic thing that Laban's going to be ushering his men. Right, right time to go, guys. We, we don't need to stay for this. But Jacob's not finished. He's saying, look, lay out anything you found, anything that's yours that I've taken, let's just show everybody. And of course, there's nothing. But then Jacob really launches into him and says, This 20 years have I been with thee, and thy ewes and thy she goats have not cast their young, and the rams of the flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it. And of my hand did thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day the droughts consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sheep, my sleep, sorry, my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I serve thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Now, again, amongst Laban's company would have been his sons and his servants. And they're hearing some of these things. Possibly they weren't aware of the way that Laban had treated Jacob. This is a very awkward, uncomfortable situation for Laban. And then Jacob says, Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac have been with me, surely thou hast sent me away now empty. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and rebuked thee yesternight. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children. Well, not strictly true, because back in Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Laban's got no claim over his daughters at this point, not now that they've been given in marriage to Jacob. And the cattle, again, he said, these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. Not true. Jacob has earned this rightfully. And he says, and what can I do this day unto these my daughters, or unto their children which they have borne? This is kind of about as close as Laban's going to get to an apology, and it's not a very good one of that. Now, therefore, come thou, let us make a, a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they did eat there upon the heap, and called it Jegar, or how we should pronounce this, Sahanduha, you have a go at that yourself if you want. Um, but Jacob called it Galid, I prefer Jacob's version than Laban's. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore the name, therefore was the name of it called Galid. And Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between me and thee, and when we are absent one from another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. So the idea is they're setting up this agreement, they're putting this mark, and now the, the, the idea is that, that neither of them will cross over this line again. Jacob won't go back towards Laban. For any reason, and Laban certainly won't pursue after Jacob anymore. But Jacob, but Laban just puts in this little kind of caveat that you better look after my daughters. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap and behold this pillar which I have cast betwixt me and thee. This heap be witness and this pillar be witness that I will not pass over this heap to thee and that thou shalt not pass over this heap 
and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge betwixt us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Barnhouse just made the comment, he said, in effect, the pillar of Mizpah meant, if you come over on my side of the line, the pact is void and I will kill you. That was the intensity of this agreement that they're establishing at this point. The last couple of verses of this chapter. And then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning, Laban rose up and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. And that's really the last we see of Laban now. He goes back to his own place. You would hope that he'd been really challenged after having an encounter with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Having been met in a dream, having seen the witness of Jacob in serving faithfully, you would think that Laban at that point would start to think, well, I don't really need those household gods that I had. They weren't really helping me anyway. You know, Jacob is a great example here of a, a witness without necessarily vocalizing or anything else. And, you know, you and I, one of the mainstays of our ministries should be the impact we have just simply by living our lives for God. You know, I get the impression, although it's not stated in the text here, that Jacob himself was a little surprised at some of Laban's comments as, Laban realizes that the blessings have come because of Jacob's relationship with God. And sometimes, when we witness, it's so important to preach the gospel, to use words. You can't solve the problem of hunger unless you use food. And we need to use words in proclaiming the gospel. That's so important. But at the same time, there's a very proper and real place for us to be a witness by our example. Jacob... I think here's been that. You know, the the wives, Rachel and Leah, when Jacob goes to them, they see that he'd been unfairly treated. He didn't have to press the point with them. He didn't have to prove to them. They said, we know, we've seen it. And no doubt they've seen the way that Jacob had just patiently waited and left it to the Lord his God. So we don't know what becomes of, of Laban. Did he ever change? Did these things ever really impact him? We don't know. And we don't know the impacts we have on the people that we work with or meet in our, our daily lives, our daily routines. But, you know, we should still seek to glorify God. You know, if we are looking unto Jesus, we have our eyes fixed upon him. It can't help but overflow into every area of our lives. And we become... I think is another phrase that Oswald Chambers uses, an unconscious witness. People see things that we don't even necessarily intend for them to see. And sometimes we're not even aware of, of the things and the changes that God has brought about in our lives. You know, when, when somebody becomes a Christian, that, that transformation is a very powerful thing. But as we grow in our Christian lives, we sometimes forget the contrast between the world between what the Lord has now made us. But the world still sees that difference. I think I shared a, a few weeks ago, somebody at work came up to me and they said, 
um, I've noticed you never swear. And I went, okay, yeah. It's not something I think about because I, I don't and I never have. And I think we have a perfectly wonderful language without having to fill it with expletives. Plus the fact scripture says that no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. That's, that's enough then, isn't it? But it's, in, it's interesting, this conversation went on and this individual realized that my life was different, that the, the fundamental basis for my life was very different than his own and with other people in the workplace. That's what we should be. Like Jacob here. Whether we're speaking, whether we're just living, we need to be a witness and bear testimony to our God. Okay, next week we're, we'll pick up from that point. We're going to look at the uh, return of Jacob into the land. And just as we saw when Jacob left the land, he was greeted or had this, this vision. He sees these angels. He's to be greeted by another two angels as he comes back into the land. And there's a number of parallels between those uh, events, um, even within the text itself. Seemingly they're dead together. So we'll try and draw some of that out next week. And then we'll see, of course, Jacob come back and uh, meets after 20 years his brother, who last time he saw him was intent on killing him. So uh, read ahead. We'll try and do a two or three chapters if we can next week. We'll go from there. Let's bow our hearts. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is so rich with the things that we need. That, Lord, it really is our spiritual food to help us to grow, to help us to know how we should live. And, Father, I pray for each one of us that we would be unconscious witnesses, Lord, that we would just by our love for you, by the working of your spirit in our lives, bear testimony to the God that we serve, that others would see it, that others would be moved, and that, Lord, you would grant opportunity for us to share and to preach the gospel to this lost world around us, this world that is hanging on to their gods, thinking that their gods give them some sort of protection or give them some sort of position. Lord, those gods are just foolishness. They're empty. Lord, whether they be materialism, whether they be whatever. But our God is real. Our God is true. Our God is in the heavens. Our God is sat on a throne in heaven now, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So Lord, we just thank you for these things. Lord, impress them upon our hearts and just keep us growing in knowledge and grace. We ask in the name of our King, of our Savior, of our Redeemer, in the name of Jesus. Amen. May God richly bless you through this coming week.